Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after game six of the season. And let me tell you something. This, I, okay, I'm going to tell you right now. The word that comes to mind for me to describe that game is honest. I do not remember that honest of a game, that honest of a victory by the Winnipeg Jets, I don't know, since maybe 2018. I take a look at that game. We all know sometimes how the Jets have handled this in years past. There was no sitting back and letting Connor Hellebuck steal a game. Uh, Connor Hellebuck gets the shutout. I'm thinking it's one of the easiest shutouts he's had in his entire career. We can debate that. Um, you take a look right up and down the lineup. Each of the four lines gets given a piece of that victory. There, uh, you know, you know, Scott Arneal moves in there and creates a scenario by which each line gets a piece of that win. I think we can break down all the things that each of them did. Excuse me. Excuse me. Hey, can you stop clapping that thing? Sorry about that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but I, I take a look at this, the kind of offense that they got uh, was honest the entire way. I look at that game and I think there is no way you could look at that game in any way and think the Jets cheated here. They cheated there. No cheating. 100% honesty from the Winnipeg Jets on that night. The only way, in my opinion, as a complete and total game, the only way that game could have looked any better than it did is if it went over to Corden and went to Vittorio Rossi Clothiers and had Frank and the boys there dress it up a little bit more. That's the only way they could have pulled that off. A gorgeous win. I think it is the very blueprint that the Winnipeg Jets have been searching for. That's what I think. Let's find out what our main man, Kenny, thinks. Time to bring him in, the man with the best music in the business. Here comes Kenny. Kenny, my friend, great to see you. It's uh, it's uh, a heck of a game, I thought. Um, but before, listen, I, I got just want to say, talking earlier about the boys of Victoria Rossi, just a reminder, if you want to look good, uh, that's the place you got to go. Check it out, Frank and the boys of Victoria Rossi Clothiers. Make sure if you head down there, tell them Kenny and Rennie sent you. Uh, but I got to say something. I've been letting, I haven't been giving my all on this podcast for the first five games <laughs> of the year, Ken. I can do better. I know I can do better. I've been being asked for something and I haven't given it and you can always give more on the podcast and I know there's been some people asking for it especially it's your boy Bruce so before we take off it's time to make this headband version (laughs) of the Kenny and Randy show the first one of the year let's kick it before the buffet what's happening here send down security send down security
I'm not sure if you noticed, Ken, but I haven't shaved the beard yet, and I figure putting a headband actually makes me even look a little bit more like these guys. Uh, we'll revisit the beard uh, at another time. But, uh, hey, we've waited too long. I've kept the people away from watching the feast here tonight. Oh, what, man. Like, one heck of a buffet lying out ahead of you tonight. Give me an idea right off the bat what you saw. Well, I appreciate you're already trying to get security down there. I'm going to send Perry down to take care of the person with the clapper. Uh, it's <laughs> beautiful stuff right there. Uh, no, I mean, Sean, you uh, you started it off, uh, you know, on a pretty good spot. I mean, this was, uh, we always talk about blueprints and templates, and yes, it's game six, and it's a very small sample size. But, man, I tell you right now, uh, the Jets went up against one of the best defensive teams in the NHL. And they put up 43 shots against Tom, or 42 against Grace, and one into the empty net. I mean, this was a complete effort, and I think that Scott O'Neill hit the nail absolutely on the head at the podium when he said that the Jets did not let up one bit. This is the, we've seen this before. Jets up one nothing after two periods. They kind of hang on for dear life. You're like hoping that they can hang on to the rope if you're a Jets fan uh, and you wonder about the grip, yet it was the other way around. The Jets absolutely took it to the St. Louis Blues mm. in the third period and they not by cheating. They did it by sticking to their structure and man, oh man, a couple of those lengthy grinding shifts were so impressive in this one, Sean. Uh, I mean, a couple of the cycle shifts, I mean, the goal by Mark Shifley, just exceptional. Sam Gagne, that was a result of another good cycle shift. Uh, some good puck movement down low. The third line had not scored a goal yet this year at 5-on-5. Five five. They had one at 4-on-4 four four and one at 3-on-3, three three, but they hadn't had a 5-on-5 five five goal yet this year. Morgan Barron gets rewarded. And then Cole Perfetti with the empty netter uh, for good measure. But man, oh man, I'm so impressed by the structural effort defensively. And the fact that the Jets were able to generate that much offense against the St. Louis Blues team that basically had not given up anything. But five goals in the first three games. Um, it was an impressive showing. And it's interesting. I mean, the Jets have played the Blues well over the last you know two-plus seasons here. And this was another great effort at both ends of the ice. It was a four-line contribution. Uh, the Jets got contributions from all six defensemen. Uh, Neil Pionk was an absolute beast again today, Sean. Six shots on goal, ten shot attempts, five hits, and two blocked shots. Brendan Dillon had a game-high eight hits. Uh, Josh Morrissey uh, was absolutely exceptional again. Uh, and again, I know some folks were down on that pairing after the first game against the Colorado Avalanche. Boy, oh boy. It's so impressive that the Jets stuck with that pairing because, man, have they been good since. I've really liked what they've done. Josh Morrissey is doing an exceptional job uh, leading the back end. Neil Pionk, as I mentioned, so involved. Uh, Nate Schmidt is given uh, a little bit extra out there. He's loving the new aggressive system the Jets are playing. And the good folks in the chat room have noticed that Logan Stanley had a solid game, got a lot more involved physically, and, uh, you know, the Stanimal will not be on the receiving end of a lot of negative commentary uh, from the folks in the chat room today. I don't think that was a solid game. Uh, that's the type of game he needs to play to stay in the lineup. And, uh, you know, overall, again, I thought that the uh, the fourth line gave the Jets some quality minutes. Their top-end players were exceptional. 
I thought Mark Scheifele was an absolute beast in this game. Yes, there were lots of people that did a nice job, Sean. Uh, this was a Mark Scheifele special right here, both ends of the ice. I uh, thought he was an absolute force. And, you know, the man who loves hockey again uh, was on top of his game absolutely today. And I, and I think that that was that's a big... And also Connor Hellebuck. I mean, uh, not as busy as Thomas Grace, obviously, but Hellebuck stood tall early. And then I wouldn't say he had to coast the rest of the way, but I thought he was exceptional in the first period. And then the team made it a little bit easier on him the rest of the way. And he just was an absolute rock back there. Heart and soul is what Mark Scheifele referred to him as. And again, that's that's the template of how the Jets need to play. And Connor Hellebuck uh, feeling very good. No surprise there. We expected him to have a big start to the year, and he's done exactly that. Now that was a trip to the buffet. You got a lot in there. We're going to revisit a lot of it. But uh, first off, I'm getting a lot of getting a lot of flack and positive Brittany's ears. PT Wilson. I didn't realize that I was that uh, that much of a downer. This is what I will say, people. If you're wondering why I'm happy, I wouldn't say it's a happy thing. One of the things, though, I think I've done a lot in years past is I've pointed out, you know victories that the Jets have had that I thought were terrible victories, victories that they cheated, victories that they they didn't put an honest effort into the game but pulled things out, victories where they hung their goaltender out to dry, but they've got one of the best goalies in the world and they end up winning that game and they come around afterwards and they talk so proudly about it. This is exactly what I can have been looking for from this team since, since we started this show, since we started Kenny and Rennie, this is the kind of effort that I've been looking for from the Winnipeg Jets. Now, listen, the most interesting part about this is you play that kind of game the way the Jets did tonight, and you can win on any night. Whether your top-end guys are going, uh, whether, you know, whether you're getting much in the way of offense at all, playing a game like that gives you the opportunity to win almost any game. And the beauty of this is the Jets, I don't think, have really even got their offense going yet. So you want to know why I'm happy? Well, this is why I'm happy. This is a winning formula, okay? All those years where the Jets would be down 3-1 and they'd come back and they'd score two goals in the last two minutes of the game and steal a victory out, you know, pat themselves on the back, that doesn't work in the playoffs. And that's why the Jets haven't been getting anywhere in the playoffs. That's one of the reasons they find themselves or found themselves out of the playoffs last year. The Jets, in my mind, and we showed this last uh, on Wednesday Night Hockey in our show opening, the Jets peaked in 2018 and got worse and worse and worse and worse every year. And this is what I was talking about. So a lot of times, I think we do this show and people would be celebrating the exciting comeback because it is, it's fun. It's fun to have a team that is capable of being down 3-1 or 4-1 like they were against the Edmonton Oilers and get outplayed for the majority of the game and turn it on and go out and beat a team, come back in dramatic fashion. It's fun to watch that. But if you're trying to break down what makes a successful team, that's not it. Not cheating the game and then out and skilling your way out of trouble is not how you win in the playoffs. What we see here tonight, that's how you win in the playoffs. Uh, and and you want to know why I'm happy? It's because I, I, I'm I'm jazzed. I'm jazzed to talk in this podcast about a style of game that the Winnipeg Jets showed me. I believe for the first time in a long time that they are capable of playing. This is. This, to me, is a we've, – we've always had the buffet, Ken. This is a buffet table with two buffet tables coming off that table and another one to close the, the square of giant uh, long 
buffet tables. I, I, I know I'm not doing a good job of explaining this, but l- l- let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit more about this. But before we do get into this, I want to hear your lamplighter of the game. And I want to hear why. Yeah, there's a couple of great candidates. But to me, it's the Mark Scheifele goal at 1030 of the second period because that goal set the tempo for the entire hockey game, Sean. Uh, you had excellent puck movement. You had Mason Appleton getting the puck back to Josh Morrissey. Josh Morrissey finding Mark Scheifele in front. And he makes such a highly skilled play look routine. It's an exceptionally difficult play. Morrissey is passing the puck to Scheifele. He scoops it up on his backhand, goes backhand to forehand, and stuffs it in a split second. People think, oh, well, it must have been a tip play. No, that's a play that's a hard pass to Scheifele. He shows incredible skill, great hand-eye, and stuffs it home on Thomas Grace. But it's everything about that shift, a really incredible cycle shift for the Winnipeg Jets. They did some great work down low. They had the Blues defenders very confused, and it led to a wide-open goal for Mark Scheifele. We've been talking the last three prior games, Sean, that the first line has had some looks, but have not been nearly as dominant since Nikolai Ehlers left the lineup. That's natural. But their top guns had to get rolling. Mark Scheifele gets the goal, his team-leading fourth of the season. But it was all the effort that led up to the goal, not just the slick hands play in front of the net. To me, that is what made that goal the lamplighter of the game. Nice, nice play. Uh, We've had already a lot of people weighing in on their lamplighter of the game. And it's good to see, uh, hey, while we're doing this, while, while we're having this conversation, you might as well join in and be giving us your lamplighter. And while we're at it, let's give away another eight pack. Brady Chalice is the winner. Uh, he got a hold of Ken in his uh, Twitter DMs. He hit him up on the old DMs and it's paying off uh, for Brady Chalice. Brady knows we already sent him that. We got all of our uh, vouchers out to all the people from our first six shows. Um, who have now won Lamplighter eight packs. Uh, and uh, all you got to do is tell us, is that Ch- Chunky? Chunky, you're Brady Chalice? There we go. That's perfect. Uh, but yeah, all you got to do if you want to be entered for a- an eight pack of sweet, delicious Lamplighter Amber Ale, all you got to do is tell us what you thought your best goal of the game was. Doug Thraski is showing us right here. Merle Peters is showing us right here. You're in, guys. You're, you're, you're signed up for next game. Uh, for a chance to win that tasty, tasty, sweet, delicious Lamplighter Amber Ale uh, from our friends over at uh, at TransCanada Brewing. Uh, love this logo. It's just a cool little thing. And I know that they've thrown one out there, Ken, that has uh, the K&R logo on it as well. If you haven't been down to their tap room at 11290 Keniston, go check them out. Uh, and I got to say, we had Luke Fox in town uh, after the last game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Him and I went out for uh, for a beer while you were finishing up your work, and I got him one of TransCanada's blueberry beers. Oh, my goodness. He absolutely loved it, was raving about it. So if you haven't checked that out, try that as well. They've got a old smorgasbord, a buffet, if you will, of different kind of beers to try out. So uh, let's get at it. And let's get at something everyone seems to want to talk about because I think a lot of people disagree with you on the Lamplighter goal. I agree it was a nice goal. Um, A lot of people choosing Sam Gagne. And I'm just going to go in the direction that people are talking about uh, when it comes to Sam Gagne here. I was thinking this exact thing. People are suggesting Sam Gagne get moved up to that top line instead of Mason Appleton. What do you think of that, Ken? Uh, 
I think that uh, it was a nice clapper from the middle of the circle, but I don't think it was a nicer play than Morrissey to Shifley. Uh, it was a nice play down low and a really good pass by Kyle Connor to get it over to him. Uh, but in terms of what I think about, I, I think that Sam Gagne is well positioned on the Adam Lowry line. I think that Sam Gagne can give you some shifts on the top line. Uh, although Sam is an incredibly smart player, I'm not sure he can sustain the pace required to play on that top line. I would say that would be my only concern. And I just think that Sam is a very good straight line player. He's a very gifted passer. He could help set up Shifley and Connor uh, for, for some quality opportunities. Uh, I think that he can give you, you know, some quality minutes there. Uh, I'm just not sure that Sam Gagne at this stage of his career is ready to be playing 20 minutes a night uh, on a top line that plays with as much pace as Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor do. Uh, I think that he can give you some shifts there. And that was one of those blended shifts uh, where, it, where it came together. Uh, but for me, I thought that Mason Appleton had a solid game as well. Uh, and I think that line needs a little bit more of a, not a banger necessarily, but a bit more of a mucker, if you will, uh, in terms of what, you know, getting a little bit more on the, I think that Appleton gets on the four check a little bit more than Sam Gagne would as well. Uh, I love what Sam Gagne has brought to the table for the Winnipeg Jets. He's already got three goals. That leaves him second on the team in scoring. Pretty good for a guy uh, who was signed late in the offseason. Uh, he's been an exceptional you know, exceptional depth addition. Uh, I think that, like I said, I think that you could he could give you some quality shifts in that spot. I'm just not sure that it was going to be something where over the long term uh, it's the best fit on that line. I, I, I think I understand that uh, he's maybe a little bit better of a pure passer with those guys, but uh, I think, you know, again, I don't know that there's an optimal lineup right now with Nikolai Ehlers not in it, but... Uh, I don't think that... Uh, I also like what he's brought to that third line, and we've seen that quite a bit. And uh, we'll get to Morgan Barron a bit later. But sorry, that's a long-winded way of saying, Sean, I, I, I'm okay with it in spurts. I just don't think it's something that uh, I would be... If I'm Scott O'Neill or Rick Bonus, I'm not sure that that would be the, you know, the choice over a long stretch of time. That, that's just my personal opinion. So one of the things that backs up your point would be uh, exactly what you're talking about, the Shifley goal. It's a really nice play. It's a grinding play that Mason Appleton makes to get the puck off the boards over to Josh Morrissey and to the front of the net. Uh, and, and I, I, understand why you like that that is that Shifley goal is a gorgeous goal because the the Grice the goaltender um, for the St. Louis Blues has to commit to the idea uh, that uh, Josh Morrissey's shot is going to be tipped by by Mark Shifley so he has to freeze he has to get big he has to get locked in and uh, Mark Shifley smart hockey player that he is uses that against him scoops the puck corrals it instantly and turns it into a deke where you've got the goaltender frozen it's a really nice play that's the kind of stuff that mason appleton does the one thing that i would argue is there was a couple plays tonight where um where mason appleton got pucks wide open and got some shots out one argument is going to say he got his opportunities they're going to go in eventually the other argument would say and this is one thing that i think gives relevance to the comments being made about sam gagne potentially stepping into that line is I think Sam Gagne is more capable of scoring the kinds of goals that that line is capable of scoring. Uh, 
Um, and, and I just think he, from what we've seen with him, he's got a nose for the net and knows how to cash in. Uh, he probably hasn't had the opportunity to play with as skilled of players in the last number of years of his career as he has here in Winnipeg, especially when he jumps up onto those front lines. But there's a reason he got moved up to play on the on the uh, on the pe- on the power play on that second line. He's shown that he can do that in those opportunities. There's a reason he's, I think, well, yeah, I believe second on this team in scoring. Right right now uh give him a couple more opportunities on that line i think he could maybe get that line scoring a little bit more again though if they play the kind of game they play tonight they don't need more scoring uh but you have something you want to say back ken i can tell well no i'm just saying that who's 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 the first guy on the four check who's digging the puck out i mean sam that's not sam's game i mean he's a guy who gets involved but i just don't know that his pace would allow him to be first to be the f1 and first in on the four check and while playing with mason appleton today uh, Kyle Connor, five shots on goal, eight shot attempts. So uh, I'm not sure he needs that many more looks. Some of them were obviously on the power play. Uh, but again, this is this is not a knock on Sam Gagne. He is a solid, solid, solid NHL player. Uh, and he can definitely give you some shifts on that line. I just don't know. Um, like I said, the, he's also a very conscientious two-way player now. He's really worked hard on that part of his game. You and I were talking to, with Andrew Cogliano about him just a few days ago. Uh, he's yeah. been a perfect fit for this Rick Bonus system in terms of his usage. Uh, I just don't know that automatically giving a guy more minutes in a more offensive role translates into offense, even when you're playing with offensive players in this situation. I think he's he's better suited to play a complementary scoring game. But I mean, I would I would also argue that in a perfect world, Mason Appleton is more suited to a complementary scoring type of game, also. So. Uh, I'm okay with that. I'm just I just don't know that it's a guarantee that that those offensive results would necessarily follow. I think he's in a sweet spot right now in terms of where he is in the lineup. He deserved to be moved up to the third line, and still obviously he's going to get some looks and touches on the second power play. But uh, I mean we'll see how things go. I mean it was an it was out it was an outstanding game for basically all the lines that were rolling, including the Jets fourth line. I mean uh, Axel Janssen Fialbi had a couple yeah. great looks. David Gustafson another strong game. And I thought that Saku Menelainen looked a little bit more like he did in the preseason today in terms of being involved physically as well. Um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, so where did I want to go here? I Caught me at a bad time here, Kenny. Uh, oh, here, I wanted to ask you this just straight out of the gate here. Um, you think that's the easiest uh, shutout Connor Hellebuck's ever had in his career? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, like I said, early, the Blues had a couple of early power plays. I thought there were a couple of great chances. Obviously, Vladimir Tarasenko had an outstanding chance on one of those early power plays. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly's one-timer to the left of Hellebuck, I would have said, was a little bit of a you know a push across. That was a good chance early. Uh, but in terms of the third period, I, I, I don't know that the high-danger chances were necessarily on a very high level. Um, and again, that was not the Blues' A game. Uh, but having said that, the Blues had played three excellent games out of the gate. And they really did a good job against the Edmonton Oilers and talking to the, uh, some of the people that cover the Blues um, and are around them on a daily basis. They, they, they played a little bit more of a almost a trapping style. They were more of a 1-2-2 game through the neutral zone to try to slow down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And it worked pretty well for them. But today the Jets kind of battled through some of that... Uh, clogged up ice in the neutral zone and got involved you know got made a lot of smart plays with the puck i mean i love the comment comments from mark shifley to you sean i mean 
when when the skilled players are talking about the importance of yeah. playing that grinding game and making the defense turn and and all of the things that the Jets did today, um, you know they've got a mobile defense court. Justin Falk, Tory Krug, even Colton Pareko, Nick Letty, those are all mobile guys. The Jets were all over those mobile guys, and they made their feet turn constantly, which is, as Mark Shifley pointed out, is incredibly annoying as a defender. If you're constantly, you know, in an involved in a cycle and turn, 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 uh, it made life very difficult. And, I mean, the Jets were fortunate again. This is the third time in six starts, Sean, the Jets faced a backup goalie. I mean, it reminds me of, like, 2016 when the Jets were getting all the backups. And that's not a knock on backups. And to be honest, Thomas Grice played excellent. I mean, he was phenomenal. He was excellent, especially in the first period when this was still a one nothing game after two. Grice was awesome. Hellebuck and Grice both in the first period, 13 shots apiece in the 0-0 tie. Uh, and the, you know, the goal that beat him was just an absolutely exceptional play by Shifley and Josh Morrissey and, jo- and uh, Mason Appleton. I mean, you can't fault him for any of the goals. Um, so to me, it, that, that's what makes it interesting, right? I think that all three backups actually played quite well against the Jets. We've talked about this before, right? I mean, people are saying, oh, well, against the Rangers, they were lucky they got Halak. Well, yeah, that's true, but Halak played well in that game also. So um, I, I don't think it was – and again, again, Aiden Hill uh, didn't play poorly against the Jets either. So it was an interesting week on a lot of fronts in terms of the goaltending matchups, or 10 days, I should say. But, yeah, I mean, let's go to let's go to Kyle Connor. Hold on, I mean, hold, on sorry. hold on. Let's go to uh, – I wanted to jump in here, and I wanted to go give our Johnston group got gotcha oh, right covered on. play of the game uh, with this nice, shiny, fancy new graphic Love that it. we got from the Johnston group. I'm going to go with the system, the blueprint. Okay, Ken? Because I think that this was one of these things they relied on. There, there didn't need to be any dramatic last-minute saves by Connor Hellebuck. There didn't need to be, you know, a Jets defenseman skating back and diving to break up a play or anything like that. This was just solid systematic hockey that the Winnipeg Jets played. And the one thing that I thought that was the best about it was it just got better and better and better as the game went on. You take a look at how this team played. Their third period was suffocating. They, they just got, and you know what, uh, Scott O'Neill talked about it. This was in the third period, rather than kind of holding their own, they went out and they took it to them. They had a one nothing lead rather than sitting on that lead or getting nervous about that lead. They just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And after they scored the second goal, they just kept pushing after that. I just thought, and, and that push didn't just come from one line. It came from the top line, the second line, third line, fourth line. I'd like to talk a little bit about Axel Fionson uh, Fialbi at some point because this was the first game where I feel like I really noticed him and, and kind of got it. Okay, this is what Scott Arneal uh, saw in this player when he wanted to pick him up. But the system wins here as it should on every night. I'm not going to go and lean back on the system uh, for the Johnson Group. We got you covered play of the game very often after this. But this, to me, is exactly what Rick Bonus has been trying to get this team to. To do it in Game 6, I know it's felt like it's taken a long time to get to this. To do it in Game 6, if they've done this and they can start replicating it, that's going to be very interesting to see. That's the question I'm going to ask you coming out of this. But I just want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Johnston Group. You won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan Employee Benefits, proudly administered by our friends at Johnston Group. Chambers Plan 
is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses, and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable, so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers' plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues, and teledoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers' plan can benefit benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca. Uh, love hearing from our Kenny and Rennie OGs, our original guys uh, at the Johnston Group. Uh, that's the next question I want to ask Kenny, because um, people have said this, bottle this. You're hearing the comments say, bottle this, replicate this. Is this something that you feel that the Jets, can, a system they can play night in and night out? Or uh, is this the kind of system that you expect may take its toll on the Jets over the next little while after they play it and create those off nights? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's it's tough to play that way every single game. But, I mean, the Blues are a great example uh, of what the importance of having that ability to replicate can do for your hockey team. I mean, we talked about identity. Sean, when we went into the Blues room today, I had an outstanding conversation with Blues captain Ryan O'Reilly uh, and talking about how that identity was built over the years after Craig Berube was brought in. What Blues hockey looks like, I mean, that's a hard-nosed, hard-style defensive game and they have some offensive talent to go with it. I mean, today was a great example. The Jets' structure had been pretty good at 5-on-5 in a lot of their games this year, except Dallas. And today, their structure was very sound, but they also were able to generate quite a bit more. They've been able to create some turnovers by being aggressive on the back pressure. They created some odd man rushes, but they haven't really been able to generate enough offense, quality offense, that was going to lead to an offensive explosion. And we know the Jets, you know, four goals, including an empty netter, is not an offensive explosion. But it was an important step forward for them. It was the kind of offense they did generate. I mean, this game could have been 6 nothing. Kyle Connor rips another one off the crossbar. He fired a two-on-one into the bread basket of Thomas Grace. Grace did a great job of challenging him on that first period two-on-one. But when Kyle Connor's on his game, Sean, that puck is barred down, and the goalie doesn't see it. So to me... Kyle had, you know, we talked about to Kyle this morning after the morning skate. I asked him flat out if he felt he was a little bit snake bitten, but he was getting opportunities. Today is another example that if the opportunities continue to come the way that they are for him so far, he's going to get a bunch in a short amount of time. Was he a little bit frustrated? Certainly. But Kyle Connor would also go to go home tonight thinking that's an excellent team win. And he contributed to it even though he didn't score a goal. He got an important assist and had another bunch of great looks. Uh, So can they sustain it over 82? That's an incredibly tough thing to do. But if you talk about building good habits and a foundation of what it should look like, I'm not here to say the Jets are going to have 41 shots every single night. Or 40, sorry, 43 shots every single night. That's impossible to do given how many teams are sound defensively. But can they play with that structure and generate enough offensive opportunities that they can make life difficult on the opponent regularly? Absolutely they can. But the other thing to remember, even in a year like last year, Sean, when the Jets did not have a good year, they swept the St. Louis Blues. So for some reason, sometimes you stack up well against certain teams. Now they need to do this again against the LA Kings, against the Arizona Coyotes, against the Vegas Golden Knights when they play 
you know, back to back and three and four again. That's tough to do. That takes a physical toll on the group as a whole. But in terms of structurally sound hockey and generating offense from it, that is absolutely something they can do with regularity. But that's what it will take to build that identity. We're not here saying you see it one time, it's going to be like that every single time. But that's how they want to look like and want to be able to replicate that type of effort over the long haul of 82 games. Um, I, I love doing this. I love getting jawed by the audience. One of the people who loves, loves to give it to me is Kenny's water bottle time and time again. And I want to bring this up because, Ken, I'm going to steal your line and I'm going to give Kenny's water bottle a wake up. Nothing to panic about, panic about yet, but Connor will need to start producing soon. Otherwise, teams are just going to lock in on Shife. Kenny's water bottle, if you think that this – any NHL coach is going to say, we don't need to worry about number 81 anymore. Let's just zero in on Shave. That is not happening. I am joyful to say, Kenny's water bottle, you need to wake up if you're going to be dropping comments like this in this show. Um, Ken, I also wanted to, this, I like this comment by Andrea Kohut. She says, seems like the team had a light bulb moment and said, we can do this. This comment that she's making sounds to me like the post-game conversation that we had with Connor Hellebuck, where he'd said, you know, we got out, this was a full 60 minutes, now we've got this, now we know, now we carry forward with this. Is Andrea right here? Is this a bit of a, this game a bit of a light bulb moment? You also talked about Mark Shifley and how Mark Shifley, you talked about those comments. I love those comments that he made when he was asked about, uh, or sorry, excuse me, when I asked him about that goal that they got, the Gagne goal, where... You know, Shifley gets it on the boards and he's grinding. He's got a guy on him. He grinds it and he gets it down to Josh Morrissey and he grinds it a little bit more. Then he moves it down the boards and he gets it to Kyle Connor. He grinds it along the boards, gets open, sends it out, and Sam Gagne gets it. This is not what we're used to seeing from a lot of these players. Mark Shifley is a guy who is often, you know, if you think about that goal he scored earlier in the season, I think it was the second game against the Dallas Stars, what he usually likes to do is to pop away and find quiet ice, not hard ice to score those goals. Tonight, we saw a recognition from the Winnipeg Jets that it was going to be a hard, grinded-out game, and they would have to grind it out if they wanted to win. And I loved Mark Shifley's response and him saying, no one likes to play against that grounded-out style. He wasn't talking about them playing the St. Louis Blues. He was talking about putting that hard grinding style on the St. Louis Blues and having them tap out, having them lose the battle of attrition. I love that idea. And I love Andrea's comment here. Do you think the success that they gained from that, the success or the realization that a 60-minute game put them in a position to shut out the last remaining undefeated team in the NHL by a 4-0 score. Do you think maybe tonight serves as a bit of a light bulb moment for the Winnipeg Jets? I think it'll certainly help the cause on a lot of fronts, right? I mean, because, like I said, I, I think we've seen examples of the Jets playing pretty structured hockey. And their structure has been very sound at five on five. I would say probably in three and a half of the of the or four almost four of the six games. But for the most part, some of the special teams had been letting them down a little bit. Um, will it be a light bulb moment? That remains to be seen. I mean, if they do it again, two to two to three more times this week, then yes, we can call it that. I think it's definitely has the potential to be a light bulb moment, Andrea. And, and I think you're on to something. But to me, I think it all comes down to what you're able to generate from what we've been talking about the whole time. 
Yes, they were better defensively, but it seemed to be coming at the expense of their offensive game. So, you know, Rick Bonus said to us this morning that he thought the offensive opportunities were there, but the finish wasn't there. So today the finish was there along with the opportunities, but I felt like they generated more as a whole while also playing, you know, very solid and sound defensive hockey. So I need to see it a few more times, but I do think it has the potential to be a light bulb moment. I mean, this is what you need, right? You need success. You need to see that the system that is taxing, that is hard to play, you need to see why it works. And uh, like, also, I'll say this. I, I, there was a period um, in one of the previous games, uh, I think it was the first period of the last game against the Leafs, I looked and, and it felt like I was watching the Dallas Stars from last season. Again, I'll go over this again. I talked about it a little bit. I think I talked about it on the, the last show. But when the Jets last year were trying to make the playoffs, I knew the only way they were going to make it was if they got ahead of the Dallas Stars. So I started watching a lot of Dallas Stars hockey. And you could see the kind of game that they played was just like what we saw in the first period against the Toronto Maple Leafs, except the Jets, to me, seemed to... It being consistent after that, didn't come out very well in the second period, didn't push back very much in the third period. Tonight, we saw them carry that all the way through. Tonight, to me, looked like what I saw from the Dallas Stars last year, which means that they're getting to Rick Bonus's system. Uh, I'm not saying that this is going to be easy, that they've turned a switch. That's not what I'm saying by this. I think this system is hard to play. I think you're going to see some times here with the Winnipeg Jets where they have um, – they kind of run out of gas because they haven't played uh, a system like this. That That is the pressure cooker that is being required and asked for by their head coach. Cause these games don't always end for nothing. Sometimes they end one, nothing, which tonight looked like it was going to end up being that's tough hockey to mentally play. So I, I'm not saying that this is a straight line and everything is going good from here. And I'm not saying that we clicked here and, and this is what we're going to see from now on. But I do think that there's a realization uh, by the Winnipeg jets that, this kind of hockey results in big victories over tough teams like this, uh, and, and I think it's I think it's an important first step. Yeah, and to I me, think we're the, to me, the season begins for the Winnipeg Jets tonight. Sure, and I would say the biggest thing in terms, of, but going back to Andrea's comment, the light bulb moment came in the Jets getting to the inside ice. Right, that's what Scott O'Neill was talking about after the game. Before the defensive structure was there. But a lot of the chances were coming from the perimeter. I mean, the same thing the Jets have been doing a nice job and doing well at early in the year was, you know, most of the nights the shot volume was down a bit. But most of the shot nights, even when the volume was high, a lot of the chances were from the outside. Today, the Jets got to the inside ice. Shifley's yes. goal in the slot. Sam Gagne's resulted from a play down low. Uh, Morgan Barron's goal happens because of a great forecheck by Lowry and then Barron gets open in the slot. And a quick one on Barron, Sean. We've seen, I mean, you and I have been talking about this the last couple of games, that the Jets needed more from those bottom six forwards. Right. But I had told you that Barron had been generating a little bit. And you could see when he looked to the heavens, he whiffed on the one-timer and it kind of trickled through the pads of Grice. But the relief he felt knowing that one of those chances finally went in for him sort of felt like a humongous weight was lifted off his shoulders. You know, tonight, six shots on goal for Morgan Barron. Six shots on goal, seven attempts, two hits. He was skating really well, and he got rewarded with the goal. I think that's a big step forward for him, for a team that needed more from those guys on the bottom, you know, bottom two lines, however way you want to describe it. 
I thought it was an important goal for that line as a whole. Uh, and a great job by Lowry to get things created off the forecheck. And it was a really good finish uh, by Morgan Barron, even though obviously it wasn't the hammering of the one-timer that he wanted. It got through the, you know, they don't ask how, they just ask how many, right? Yeah, no doubt. Um, hey, chat hey. room, I need to lead. A, oh, go, go for it. Sorry, I think we should, I mean, we got... 20 minutes left. We got to talk about this morning with Rick Bonus. Um, that, that's what I was going to go okay, to. Again, again, thanks for uh, stepping in here. Uh, sorry, I just need the chat room to help out here. Tishu, you can do it or someone else. I, I don't understand these backup comments that Tishu keeps making over and over again. I don't know what he's talking about. If someone can explain it to me, that would be helpful because uh, either this joke is not landing with me or it's not landing with anybody. Um, let's get to talking about Rick Bonus. Absolutely scary moment uh i i mean i i was very worried to see what was happening um in the middle of a question the one thing i'll, I'll give like a ton a ton of credit for with rick bonus is like he was clearly clearly hampered by something and other than the fact that he stops he barely loses focus i mean having that laser-like level of focus that he was able to carry that to the moment that he kind of clutches uh, the days uh, to hold himself up um, and 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 take a little bit of a break that obviously affected him. You could see his his eyes welled up, and it, I don't think it was a tear thing. It wasn't that he was emotional about anything. It, it, it was just like a physical reaction to whatever he was dealing with. Uh, and then he kind of kept going and kept talking, and then wanted to keep talking, which I thought was just absolutely, uh, you know, here's a guy who's trying to battle through. I don't, I don't, I think. For Thought, think to myself, why? Why is he trying to battle through this? There, there, he does not need to be in front of us answering those questions if he's feeling to that degree. Um, but before you talk about um, what what you saw in that situation, how you felt about that, I think it's important to, for us to do this. But just the fact that he was up there battling the way that he was, you think that had any effect on tonight's game? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, obviously, it was a scary moment uh, for anyone who is in that room today. I I'm with you. I I'm not a doctor, but I was worried for Rick Bonus, his health. Yeah. I mean, it looked like I, I don't know what was happening, but it was not good. Uh, it was something where, and in talking to a couple of our colleagues um, from St. Louis, uh, Jeremy Rutherford and Jim Thomas, um, they no they noticed during the pregame skate there was a there was a moment where. Rick Bonus went down on one knee, yeah, uh, and he had to be helped up by Scott O'Neill and I think Brad Lauer or Marty Johnson. I'm not sure, sure whom. So uh, obviously, I mean, we we know how impacted Rick Bonus is. We saw him Saturday morning when he was asked about missing those games. I mean, it it, it is eating away at him, but it, it's he needs to be taking care of his health first and foremost, and. Again, we don't want to be, you know, speculating or anything else, but I mean, the Jets said they're going to take it day by day, but I mean, it's not a guarantee to me that he's on the on the plane this week to for a situation where oh, there's God, three games in four nights. I mean, Rick needs to take care of his health first and foremost. Obviously, he's going to be involved. Um, you know, we Scott O'Neill said he talked to him right after the game again. Rick was incredibly proud of the way the team put forth an incredible effort. Um, it's just a reminder that I mean, COVID is a scary thing. I mean, um, it was it was a very scary moment. Uh, Rick obviously is feeling a little bit better, obviously, but um, I mean it's as you know I don't know I, I'm I'm at a I'm at a loss for words because it was something that I haven't really seen before, 
but it was a again I would my interpretation Sean I mean you're right it wasn't an emotional reaction for Rick it basically the reason I think he welled up is because it took every ounce of energy that he had to stay upright to try to answer those questions this morning so yeah. uh, obviously the players and you know fans are thinking of Rick and uh, you know it's important that uh, you know he gets this taken care of but the scary thing about COVID I mean it's not like an injury. You don't know how long it's going to take or how long it's going to be impacting any individual. Um, so, I mean, the Jets are going to obviously be very cautious with this situation. Uh, the Jets coaching staff is, you know, they're doing a great job. Scott O'Neill's a guy who's been an associate coach for a long time. He's been an NHL head coach. He's been a head coach in the minors. Brad Lauer's been a head coach uh, with the Edmonton Oil Kings last season, the WHL champions. So they've got a really good staff. And you know, Rick obviously trusts them, and they have a great relationship. And he's going to be as involved as he can. But obviously, his health has got to be first and foremost here as the Jets move forward uh, over the coming days. Well, you know why he trusts them. I mean, if you take a look at how how Scott Arneal has handled this situation, never mind how he's you know used his bench, never mind you know those bold decisions that he made uh, that resulted in uh, you know the fourth line scoring the game winner in the first game of the year against the New York Rangers or the overtime goal against the Colorado Avalanche. But I just, you know, one thing I really admire and appreciate about uh, Scott Arneal is he comes up and, and when he talks after he's been the head coach or the acting head coach in a game, you notice this, Ken, he mentions Rick Bonus every single time. You know, actually, I just got off the phone with him. He mentions conversations. One line that I really, really liked from him tonight, because you could hear the admiration in Scott Arneal's voice about Rick Bonus when he was talking to uh, about the idea that, you know, because I'd asked about the lines and I'd said these four lines tonight from what you saw from, you know, how we saw the goal scored by the first line, uh, you know, the push that we got from the second line and the empty net goal from the second line, the fourth line to your point about how they were just buzzsaws out there tonight. And the third line that goes out and gets a goal, I'd said, I'd ask, is this basically an example of each of these four lines playing to the identity you want them to play to? And that's when he brought out, you know, a, a, a Rick bonus-ism in that Rick Bonus has been saying to this team he wants every line to look the same. Such an interesting comment and and I loved um, how how Scott O'Neill brought that out and then gave his explanation of what he thinks Rick Bonus is asking out of that and it's a fascinating thing if you think about it. Scott O'Neill said it may sound crazy because skill sets are very different between the first line and the fourth line but what he wants is he wants the first line to look like the fourth line in their own zone, in their ability to lean on the other team, to get in the other team's face, to break up passes. And then that's when the skill kind of takes over. Clearly, once Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers, when he gets back, get the puck, they're going to look a lot different than Saku Menelainen and, and Axel Janssen, Fialbi, and David Gustafson. Clearly, that's going to happen. But if those two lines look very similar when they don't have the puck, when they're trying to keep the puck out of their own net, uh, what I take from that is that there's an expected level of of intensity and emotion and hard hockey that he wants his first line playing. And what that says, Ken, is you may be skilled, but it doesn't mean your skill puts you above anybody else. We all have a job to do here. We all do that job, and then we all take our skill and add to it. I thought that was phenomenal. I thought it was a, a, a you know, a, a good way of, of, you know, bringing in. We've not missed Rick Bonus 
despite the fact that he hasn't been in a lot of these games because Scott Arneal keeps bringing Rick Bonus into the conversation every time he steps in for him in behind the bench. I think he's done a good job of honoring his head coach, you know, and from a guy who could be a head coach in the NHL, it's important stuff. And I guess this is two other things I just wanted to talk about before talk about before I shut this down um, is a Rick Bonus. I'll just say this again: the fact that he came out and you know took that knee on the ice. And then decided after that to go in because this is what his day looks like, people. He's out on the ice with his team. He goes inside. He has a private meeting with the broadcasters. So that will be, you know, Jamie Thomas and Paul Edmonds, the CJOB guys. That will be, you know, in today's case, if it's a TSN game, it'll be Dan Robertson. It'll be John Liu. Uh, if it's a Hockey Night in Canada game, it will be myself, Sammy the Scarf. If he's in town, you get that private meeting with him. Then he'll do a little bit of a radio hit with Paul Edmonds that will play uh, before the game. And then he comes out and talks to the rest of the media if he was taking a knee because he didn't feel well and then went through the process of all those different things this is a guy who is trying to fight through rick bonus cares about this job he cares about this team this is why people across the hockey world absolutely love him this is why they think he's a great person he puts the game and his players and the success of his franchise and you know i would argue the success of the league about uh, above himself at every single stage uh which is why uh it's just one of the things that makes him uh, a, a, a very respected human being across the league. Um, let's go in a different direction here, Ken. Uh, I want to dig in a little bit more on Axel Janssen Fialbi because uh, I'd mentioned it before, but I just thought that his speed, and that's what we kept hearing about him. Eh? When it was asked why they picked him up, his speed was uh, a big thing. If you're a player who skates really fast to nowhere, your, sca- your, your, your speed is useless. And I'm not saying he was skating to nowhere, but I do think that before this with the Winnipeg Jets, I wasn't seeing Axel Janssen Fjallberg get to where he was trying to go with that speed. Tonight, he seemed to consistently be getting to where he was trying to go. How did he do that, and how did the rest of that fourth line have an effect on the game here tonight? Yeah, I think that uh, Axel Janssen Fjallberg is starting to learn his routes a little better. I mean, this is something that it takes some time. I mean, it was something where in Colorado before he made, you know, he was speaking to the media and I was asking him, you know, how do you find that? I mean, here's a guy who I think he had 14 goals last year in the American League with the Hershey Bears. Obviously, when he plays in the minors, he's put in more offensive positions. He has more ice time. He gets more looks, all of those things. Well, when he plays in the NHL, Sean, he's going to be between six and a half and ten and a half minutes. So how are you going to find a way to impact the game outside of your special team's minutes? As a guy with blazing speed, you got to get to the right spots. You need to mesh with your line mates. And when you get an opportunity, you're going to have to try to bury a couple of those. I mean, because there's lots of guys who can give you fourth line minutes for a short amount of time, Sean. Jared Bednar had a great explanation of this the other day when we were in Denver. He doesn't just want guys who can give you minutes at the NHL level. He wants you making an impact and a contribution to the hockey game. Today, Axel Janssen Fialbi made a contribution to the hockey game. He's a guy who's known for his ability to skate and to be able to retrieve pucks on the forecheck. I mean, is he going to be a you know down outright playmaker? Not yet. 
Is he going to be a guy who scores a bunch of goals, double digits and goals at this level? Not yet. But when he uses his skating ability, he can make life difficult because he has a skill set that is difficult for other teams' fourth lines to play against. So today I think he did a better job with his routes. I think he's feeling more and more comfortable. He's starting to mesh with a guy like David Gustafson, with a guy like Saku Menelainen. So you have the Scandinavian specialty line starting to create a little bit of offense. David got game for him. His ability to make the guys around him better is important. And I felt like he made he helped make Janssen Fial be better in this game. But I thought he made himself better by moving his feet, getting in on the forecheck, getting to the net. And again, he's a guy, he's not going to give you a ton of goals, but he can give you some. And he can give you sound defensive play. He can give you some physical nature, win some board battles. So when guys like that get some confidence, and then when, when it's a matter of getting one or two goals, now the guy feels a little bit more confident. Then he's going to get opportunities. He's not going to rush his chance. You know, these guys know on the fourth line, you don't get a ton of looks offensively. So when you do, you have to be confident. You have to look for your spot. Don't just close your eyes and shoot, Sean, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the biggest thing for guys when you're making that jump from the American League to the NHL level. Can you contribute in some positive fashion and manner? I thought this was a solid effort uh, by Axel Janssen Fialbi. Uh, three shots on goal and a hit tonight on his 12 shifts for 751, most of which, except for 39 seconds, came on the uh, penalty kill. The rest was at 5-on-5. Uh, I thought it was a nice... Nice, another great example of usage uh, by Scott O'Neill and the bench, the way they were running things and getting things rolling with the fourth with the fourth line uh, inclusion, if you will. And they're going to need that fourth line this week with another stretch of three games and four nights. I mean, the LA, LA Kings are a fast team, Sean. Their young players are making an impact. So you're going to need them to play a fourth line game. Then the Jets have the Coyotes on a back-to-back. Then they have Vegas again on Sunday. So... Um, I think it was another really important step for the fourth line. And, you know, we know they had the important goal in game one against the Rangers, the game winner from Sam Gagne. But that line's going to have to contribute every once in a while here. So, um, yeah, it was a good good eye by you. I thought he 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 had an impactful game. Uh, Let's go to the injuries quickly. Uh, Dylan Sandberg skated this morning in a non-contact jersey. Uh, Rick Bonus said he expected him to be available on the road trip to play. Uh, you know whether that means game one or game two, we're not sure. Nikolai Ehlers, we expect him to travel with the Jets. We're not quite sure yet when he will be on the ice uh, and available for game action. It's going to be tough to monitor here. I mean, the, now the Jets are taking Tuesday off. It, they're probably going to skate briefly on Wednesday before they they get on the road to LA. I'm not 100% sure, but until we see Nikolai Ehlers on the ice, whether that's in a non-contact jersey or a regular jersey. It's still probably going to be a couple days before he's ready. But Rick Bonus said on the weekend, it's not a long-term injury. And, and I mean, that's good news for Nikolai Ehlers and for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of a, maybe a hot take here. I think it's hard in a game to have a shutout uh, where the goalie isn't the first star of the game. I think this was the case of that tonight. I mean, I, again, I do think that this is maybe the easiest shutout that Connor Hellebuck has had of his career. I can't think of very many points at the game where he was 
tested sorely. Um, again, it, it's hard to, I mean, you got to pick someone. If I had to pick someone here tonight, uh, I think that I'd pick Mark Shifley. I just thought that he was the driver behind his line. I thought that line as the game went on and on and on, they just started, you know, kind of dominating. And, and it was, it was the right kind of domination. It wasn't them, you know, trying to dive and get to the front of the net. They just decided, you know, at, to the point that he'd made that they were going to grind and they were going to outgrind and they were out going to outgrind. He gets the third assist on that uh, Sam Gagne goal. Um, but he's the guy who started that entire play. He's the guy who got everything set up and started along that goal. It does not happen without Mark Shifley. So it's a quiet kind of uh, uh, leadership that he shows out there. He was my first star of the game, but I want to get to something that Connor Hellebuck had said, um, and I wanted to get your take on it because I agree entirely with what he'd said. He said they really cleaned up the home plate area in their own zone, owned the middle of the ice in their own zone. I could not agree with that more. That's something that has, you know, the Winnipeg Jets team has been, has not done well for a lot of years. Tonight, I thought they it down against a team that's hard to lock it down against. That's what the Blues love to do. They love to grind. They love to get inside. If you want to know how good this team at, is at it, you got to think last year, maybe no team in the playoffs challenged the Colorado Avalanche more in the playoffs than the St. Louis Blues. And that's how they did it. That, that vaunted, vaunted Colorado Avalanche defense could not keep the Blues from the front of the net. I know it's not playoff hockey, and to your point, this isn't the best version of the St. Louis Blues that we could possibly see. But to me, the Blues, with the start of the season, they've had the fact that they shut out the Edmonton Oilers the other night. The Jets' ability to kick them out of the home plate area, I thought was the very key to the game here tonight. How did you think they did it? Come on back, Ken. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm not trying to leave early, I promise. Uh, no, I mean, they did a good job on both ends. They got to the blue paint in the offensive zone. They got on the inside. And in the D zone, they did a much better job of boxing out. And the one thing, too, that we both noticed uh, during the game, the Jets' ability to resist and to deflate the Blues' forecheck. The Knights, when the Blues make life difficult for the Jets, they're on the body. They're making it almost impossible to break out of the defensive zone. The Jets did an outstanding job of using the center release valve today, Sean, in terms of their zone exits. Yes. I yes. thought that was one thing they were absolutely dominant with today. Yeah. Whether it was Josh Morrissey or Nate Schmidt or Neil Pionk, that was something. And that's twofold. That's A, having the vision to find that person there. And B, it's the importance of having the centerman available for that outlet, right? I mean, that to me was an important part of the game here today. Uh, I, I just don't think there was a ton of sustained offensive zone pressure for the St. Louis Blues. And that's where they're usually at their very best when they're making life challenging for their opponent. Jets did a great job of neutralizing the speed of a guy like Jordan Cairo. He's a guy that, you know, when the Blues are rolling, he's usually flying around out there. Uh, but the Jets did an excellent job on that front. Uh, not, our, our, our friends at Natural Stat Trick had the high danger chances for the game at all situations at 15-10 to 10 for the Jets. Um, at even strength, they were 14-9. to 9. So, I mean, 10 high danger chances, still a fair amount. But I agree with you. I thought that the Jets didn't give up a ton in this hockey game. And, uh, you know, that's something that they need to be saluted for because that is something that can be 
incredibly difficult. And the biggest thing for me, Sean, we talked about it earlier when the show began, only three high danger chances in that third period. Yes. When normally you see a lot of desperation from teams like the St. Louis Blues. Uh, they're a team that can crank it up when they have to, when they fall behind. But the Jets were very sound defensively, and that allowed them to continue to close out that shutout for Connor Hellebuck. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's shut it down after that. We just hit the hour mark. Uh, that's a good way to end it. Ken, I thought that that was a really good breakdown. That your explanation of the Jets, you know, that release valve right up the middle. The Blues weren't going to give them the boards. The Jets did a good job of taking what they gave them. And, and I got to say this, like, I think if they're the biggest issue that the Winnipeg Jets would have needed to try and fix this upcoming season is that home plate area. Uh, and again, we saw that taken care of tonight. I got bad news for all those people who were missing out on negative Sean Reynolds here tonight. <laughs> I only get negative if I think there's a reason to be negative. People think I'm like trying to be negative about this. I'm not trying to do that. If I'm seeing something, I'm going to see call it like I see it. What I saw here tonight was a team that if they play like this over and over and over again, the Winnipeg Jets are going to be a handful because we haven't even seen what happens when they get playing this kind of game and then you know add their skill on top of it. Uh, it could be scary it, uh, for the rest of the teams in the league if we see that. Uh, but regardless, that becomes the big question, the one pause I'll give, and a lot of people have been telling us to give this pause, and we should. We need to see if the Winnipeg Jets can replicate this over and over and over again is this the aha moment is this the light bulb moment that's the question i leave the audience with uh and that's the question that we'll pick up and talk about in their next game as they play the la kings ken you're heading down to phoenix uh to go watch the jets uh play the arizona coyotes in their first game at mullet arena i will join you down there gonna be lots of fun uh, other than that, boy, oh, boy, chat room absolutely brought it today. Uh, and one thing I absolutely loved was, geez, have I got a long list of people um, uh, who have already given us their lamplighter to the game. It's not too late. If you're listening to this afterwards, you can direct DM Ken uh, at uh, – wherever you can do it on his Twitter account you can do it on his Instagram account same with me if you have our email you can do it there if you just want to at us or, or uh, give us a shout out on Twitter do it there if you want to come here and watch this video on YouTube uh, you can go and leave it in the comments below uh, throw your name in give us your lamp lighter of the night and we will put you into the draw for a frosty eight pack of lamp lighter amber ale given uh, provided by our friends at Trans Canada Brewing Company. Uh, so make sure you join in on that. Uh, you did a great job of it here tonight. Thank you so much, everybody. We appreciate your time. Appreciate you chipping in. We will talk to you after the game against the Los Angeles Kings.